Welcome to From the Hawk's Nest. I'm your host, Matt Bergman, and today my guest is Kim Cool, a 1997 QU graduate. Kim earned three bachelor's degrees in biological science, fire science, and philosophy with a focus on biomedical ethics. Kim is currently the Division Chief of Emergency Management in Evanston, Illinois, and she's also responsible for emergency management logistics and is the department's public information officer and is the highest-ranking female female fire official in Evanston. Kim, welcome to the show today. Well, thank you for having me today. What a what an impressive uh, set of credentials there, and we're so excited that you're uh, going to chat with us a little bit about um, your career path. And, and we'll start there um, by talking about those current roles and responsibilities. I, you know, I'm curious, what is a typical day like as a division chief of emergency management? Uh, what's it like? I'm sorry, did I get that question yes. right? Yes, <laughs> yeah. What is a typical day like? Uh, okay, so... Uh, I would say about 60% of my day uh, evolves around emergency management. And the vast majority of what we do for emergency management is preparedness, which basically consists of protection against known threats, if it's going to be natural, man-made, and then prevention. And basically, how can we better prepare our community? And a lot of that's involved with plan development, a whole lot of plans. And part of that includes exercises and training to make sure everybody else can perform should the need arise, that we'd have to institute some of our skills to manage a threat or crisis. And the rest of it um, can be anything from uh, logistical management because I oversee a lot of the logistics of our department. So anything from stations, uh, apparatus, personnel, to uh, managing anything specific to a uh, crisis in town. So any large fires, hazardous materials, spills, I'm an assist, not the lead on, but uh, we can be incident command for a fire or anything, uh, technical rescue in nature, safety, uh, rapid intervention crew chief, uh, really whatever the needs are of the incident, I would support. And then, of course, there's the public information component, which basically centers around being able to uh, disseminate communications uh, collaboratively throughout the different channels throughout the city. And that's for not only internal communications for our city staff, but also that for all Evanston residents. And that's, that's more or less that in a nutshell, and then whatever else comes up in between. Wow. That's a lot of uh, a lot of different uh, tasks and responsibilities there for sure. Well, you've well, ha- oh, go ahead. No, I just was going to say um, I think um, the one thing that a lot of people, uh, for at least for the fire service, don't recognize is that anything that police does not take care of uh, that's an emergency pretty much falls under the umbrella of fire department. So um, for anybody out there listening who thought that they might be interested in a field that's dynamic, uh, I would certainly invite them to consider this one. Interesting. Well, in in your line of work, of course, you've been involved in several disaster declarations. What does it take? What what, uh, warrants uh, having an actual declaration for disaster? Well, a lot of it comes down to is your community able to manage the threat before them? And so 
for COVID, obviously that exceeded everybody's capabilities locally. It sure. went far beyond our borders. And obviously that's probably going to be the biggest event that any of us will see in our lifetime. But when it comes to, um, for instance, a flood that we had had in January of 2020, a lot of that wasn't as much being able to manage the actual flooding issues as it was the financial impact relative to those flooding issues. And in declaring a disaster declaration opens yourself up to the possibility of public assistance grants, funds, uh, also SBA loans to help local businesses if they've been impacted and so forth, as well as um, being able to be a little bit more reliant on county and state resources. What do you think has been maybe one of the most challenging disasters that you've been a part of running logistics and and uh, the response for? Well, definitely hands down based on the magnitude would be COVID. Uh, I think that exceeded everybody's capabilities and honestly, the logistics associated with supply chain shortages vastly compromised our ability to respond. Anything between the lack of vaccinations when it came time to disseminate, the lack of personnel to disseminate those vaccinations. Uh, from a logistics standpoint, being able to have enough gloves to be able to protect your crews, masks, hand sanitizer, and so forth, really compounded the stress and complexity of just managing the day-to-day. So I think for, for that, it was very challenging. Fortunately, from a financial standpoint, we were able to avail ourselves of about $50 million over the last two years in ARPA funding, public assistance, and CARES Act funding. So financially, we were able to recover. But, you know, everything else before this point, which is obviously now almost three years in, uh, it was a little rough go at the beginning. Sure. Well, I know you've gone through, you had to gone through additional training um, to be able to do a job like this. Uh, and you got your um, executive master's in emergency and disaster management from Georgetown University. Um, tell us about that. Well, that was a fantastic program. I, I cannot say enough about not just Quincy University and the foundation that that provided, uh, but with Georgetown University, uh, the program that I had gone through was a two years into one, which is uh, hence the name executive master's. And it was very, uh, very much condensed, but it offered an opportunity to travel abroad. And it was uh, a residency that helped to provide us an opportunity to meet with people that handled the very emergencies that we're studying. So I think for me, reading a book is one thing, but being able to meet with the people that actually manage the crisis is a whole other. So when it came to uh, studying uh, the legal aspects and frameworks associated with emergency management, we went to Washington, D.C., And we met with people in the Pentagon, FEMA, and every level in between when it came to policy development, um, the ins and outs, and and really, you know, the complexity of being able to really institute anything uh, into a law. And then, uh, again, be able to enforce that law. Uh, We went to Hawaii to study natural hazards. We looked at uh, tsunamis, um, obviously the volcanic activity because they had already had an eruption about a year prior to our going out there. And, you know, climate change, obviously central to that discussion. We went to London, Brussels, and Paris to study terrorism. 
And I, I'd have to say that was my favorite leg of the whole uh, residency program because I had an opportunity to go to the London Fire Brigade and meet with people who directly managed the uh, July 7th uh, underground railway bombings. There were three near simultaneous explosions, followed with about a um, 50 minute later double decker bus exploding right above the whole event. Wow. So that was fascinating. Um, and then we went to Switzerland to study international disasters and, um, and then back to DC for our capstone. Wow. That's, that's a, what a great program. It was wonderful. I can't say enough. Wow. Well, let's uh, take a brief break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more with Kim about her personal and professional goals, what motivates her and how her time at QU prepared her for her career path and life experiences. Stay with us. You're listening to From the Hawk's Nest. We know that choosing where to take the next step is hard. At Quincy University, we help you design a personalized visit that answers your most pressing questions. Tour campus, visit one-on-one with expert faculty and staff, meet with coaches, enjoy lunch in our main dining room, and learn more about the value of a Quincy University education. Visit quincy.edu and start planning your success at Quincy University. And welcome back to From the Hawk's Nest. I'm your host, Matt Bergman, and today we're talking with Kim Cool, a 1997 QU graduate and the current Division Chief of Emergency Management in Evanston, Illinois. And Kim, with your training and the daily experiences in disaster management, what are some topics or causes that stand out to you maybe as the most pressing or things that people should have the most concern about in the world of disasters? Well, that's a great question. Um, uh, one experience uh, that comes to mind is uh, in September of 2010. I, as a first day as my um, acting captain role, uh, very first call out of the gate, I had responded to a man planting bombs in Nichols Middle School Park. And it was a playground. And they had a, an adjacent Fitzsimmons Park. And in uh, planting bombs at about 4 in the morning, he had a bomb that he planted uh, in a trash can and a second bomb that he planted by monkey bars and then capping a second bomb. He accidentally blew himself up. And there was some speculation that he had had a gun in his bag. So that would have been my first call of the day <laughs> as a, a brand-new captain. And... It really impacted me, clearly, because I don't think I was ready. In fact, we didn't have active shooter SOG at the time, a standard operating guideline that was, um, you know, anything that I I think that we would feel comfortable with following. And since that point, uh, that's really kind of led me down the path of emergency management in that it really made me think more about, like, the bigger scale of emergency management. And the the one thing that I, I think even that I found really the parallel in studying at Georgetown University was in meeting with people internationally in hazard management, seems like terrorism. Uh, one of the common threads is the goal of the terrorist, and it's really been an evolution from Mumbai to the Bataclan and Paris. And, and really you can see the evolution all around, is to really overwhelm 
the public safety sector in being able to manage a threat, and that is by throwing everything at them, having multiple simultaneous attacks. And now active shooter is complex enough in a school setting. And I really feel like that's a threat that we have to really start looking at managing. But we're very vulnerable. And, and I think about our public safety staffing levels, and we staff for just the every day, but not the every, like the big days. And a lot of times, and especially in the Midwest, we, we rely on a thing called mutual aid. Mutual aid means my town will help your town manage bigger events. But if something happens broad scale, you take like a Highland Park incident, uh, which is not too far up the road from Evanston, and which Evanston responded to to help assist with rev, uh, rescue task force response. You have a couple of those events, and you would bring a town to its knees uh, in a pretty quick fashion. And I think we have to, uh, legislatures have to, um, people in positions that make staffing decisions to not cut the reserves not cut the staff that they have, start thinking ahead, not just for today, but for tomorrow. I think that's fundamental to being effective and forward thinking and proactive. And I think we really need to start increasing our perspective on our potential threats and then being able to manage those threats and not rely on everybody else. Because if anything large happened, I feel like I feel like we're just setting ourselves up. So um, in, in that experience, um, I think, you know, everybody has experiences that they could probably say even more now these days. I mean, a lot sure. of people that I know know somebody that was, you know, involved with or knew somebody that was involved with an active shooter. Um, so I feel like all of us can, you know, contribute to some level in, in how to improve uh, how we do business. And I think I... I feel like our newer generation can really offer some great opportunities for kind of improving uh, and providing a fresh perspective. So I invite everybody who's interested in emergency management to consider the field because it's a growing field and there's a growing need. Well, what, how do you think your time at QU prepared you for that career? I think Quincy University was fundamental in helping provide me the opportunity to build the confidence in being able to accomplish something uh, that I didn't know if I could do. I mean, basically it, it kind of set those, uh, set that foundation. I moved out when I was young at 17, I moved out on my own. And um, at that point, you know, I hadn't really accomplished anything notable. I didn't think outside of, you know, stepping out of the house, a little earlier than <laughs> some, um, but really, I mean, something that I could say that I, you know, could really hold my head high and say, you know, I did this and from who, a, a university that I feel is reputable. And I feel like the relationships that I established and um, the opportunities that I was provided, being able to walk out of Quincy, I just felt as though um, it, it kind of gave me that, like a, a starting point to really, you know, I think a lot of it's just believing in yourself to, to take that next step. And I, I think that's what that provided. And I can thank Quincy for that. 
I'm sure that you have many, many memories uh, of being on campus and um, of lasting friendships, um, maybe even special professors that you've uh, remember fondly. Any any uh, memories you want to share? Well, I think the professors, and I, I'm, I'm not great with the names, so my apologies there. Um, but I, I can definitely say that the professors that I, uh, and the people that I, I came across on campus, many of which are, are very long-term friends, um, and I would have to say that uh, for those people that I hold near and dear in my life, um, much of what um, our experiences are collectively as it relates to campus life on and off uh, campus, um, I, I would have to say that there's definitely that common element of people just being very grateful for having had that opportunity. And, and I think a lot of people um, needed uh, what was offered uh, for that on-campus life. And, and, and part of it was a balance, not just from the educational component, but also um, the spiritual aspect. Um, there's definitely a, a need to want to do more, to, to be better, to give back. And I think that that's central to how I feel emergency management has called me. And that I, I think that there's, um, I've been called to serve. And I feel as though that uh, was certainly reinforced in the academic setting. Um, on and off campus, and I feel like a lot of those uh, very individuals that I went to school with are, are carrying those same principles on in their lives, personally and professionally. You know, as a 99 grad, I would totally agree with you. Um, you know, I've, I feel exactly the same way. And really for today's students, um, it's even more enforced because we do things like day of service and mm-hmm. um, service mission trips and things of that nature. Um that we've really even ramped that up even further. So um, what about advice? What would you say to a current QU student or even an alum, um, you know, about some things you've learned along the way? Well, I think one of the, one of the things that I feel women in particular in male dominated professions oftentimes tend not to, give them, they, they, they question themselves. They don't, and I was one, honestly. I mean, I uh, was very unsure of myself, and especially if you try to go into a male-dominated profession. When I started Evanston Fire, uh, I was the only woman that Evanston had seen in 17 years, and there were 100 and, about 110 of us on at the time. So, um, you know, I mean, trying to, feeling like you have to, you know, um, be like somebody else, but not really celebrating what you have to bring and celebrating your differences or your contributions. Um, I really feel like uh, women in male-dominated professions, and I'll just start with that, uh, women um, uh, should hold their heads high going into any profession, realizing that the skill set that they bring to the table matters. What about, um, speaking of advice, what about maybe for people out there listening um, and and they're thinking about their own home emergency plan, any thoughts on or advice on uh, what people should do to prepare themselves for an emergency? Well, I think a lot of people think emergency preparedness is for this far off emergency that will never happen in their lifetime. 
But statistically speaking, there's a lot of things that happen on a more routine basis. And I think emergency management preparedness starts with the everyday. And it can come in a, a, a way of just thinking about having a savings account. Uh, financially, financial preparedness is a big part of being prepared. And even if it means just taking a little bit of change and putting it in a jar um, and being able to, you know, maybe throw away $5 or $10 a month, I think it's accessible for almost everyone. When I was, um, you know, when I moved out when I was 17, the idea of having savings and being financially sound was, you know, it just seemed like, oh, there's just no chance. But um, the more I've learned over the years, I mean, a lot of it does come down to being able to just think about what can I do today and, and realizing that you'll need to have those reserves. I mean, everyone uh, will likely experience one financial hardship per year is what the average is. When it comes to even CPR, just even knowing CPR, one out of four people in their lifetime will be called to provide CPR um, during their career, at least once. Um, and then, you know, I mean, you can carry that on for, you know, um, when it comes to, you know, natural hazards, you know, certainly based on where you live, uh, the frequency could be greater or less than if you're on a coastal region versus, you know, in a flood zone. I mean, it's just all relative. So just thinking that uh, on a daily basis, how can we be proactive and, and what might we need? An example of it would be is something as simple as you get into your car. And you think, okay, um, uh, what do I need to do? Well, I should probably have gas and I should probably top off my tank because, you know, if I, um, if I want to be able to have, you know, travel or transportation throughout the week, I want to be ready for it. Um, I'll put my seatbelt on and that's considered probably more like a mitigation measure. I don't plan on getting in an accident, but I'm going to put that, put that extra safety measure in place. And um, even you can think about having a, a charger for your cell phone, maintaining your communication. It's as simple as that. And if people were to implement one measure a day, a week, a month, preparedness wouldn't be this elusive thing. It would be something that we all are. And we really have a responsibility to ourselves, our families, and our friends and neighbors to be more prepared, more responsible, more self-sufficient. Because the reality is, IEMA, Illinois Emergency Management, is now saying the first 72 is on you. And that, again, ties back into that lack of resources or the limitation in logistics to be able to support everybody in Illinois. Ultimately, if something large enough hits, like, a, you know, several F4 or 5 tornadoes or even, you know, just a number of issues uh, to varying degrees, we're very limited in what we can do. So it does come down to the individual to step up and realize that they're going to have to take care of themselves and the government is not going to always be there right then and there when they need them. I think those are some great practical tips. Uh, thank you for sharing those today. Well, thank you for inviting me today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yes, and we look forward, uh, you know, if you ever have the chance to get back to campus, I, you know, I think it would be great to share some of your insight with our students or even our faculty and staff. Sounds wonderful. I look forward to it. And thank you so much again. Yes. And be sure to tune in next time for another episode of From the Hawk's Nest, where we talk to alums, Franciscan friars, faculty, staff, and students of Quincy University to hear about their QU journey. I'm Matt Bergman, and it's always a great day to be a hawk. 